Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to be able to be here with you today, celebrating this student ministries weekend and just what the Lord is doing in the lives of students here in this church. My name is Brody. I'm one of the pastors here. Did someone just clap for that? No, no. All the clapping is for my parents who picked a really good name. Um, but I get to celebrate with you by bringing the word. And I remember when I was getting baptized, uh, my video didn't play. So I was standing in the tank and we were waiting and the lights were down. It was just like, what's going on? And so I had to give a live testimony and it was awkward, but it worked out. So I'm glad that everything is working out okay today. But as we jump into the scriptures, as we open up the Bible today, I want to start with a question. Why is it that we cheer and clap and go crazy when we dunk someone fully clothed into a tank of water. That's kind of weird, right? Why is it that we celebrate coming together on a beautiful Sunday like today into a dark room without windows with people that we might not know just an elbow's hit away? Why is it that we celebrate fellowship and coming into the presence of God? What's the point? Today's message is entitled Finding Freedom, and you can find our scripture in Romans chapter 6 in the New Testament. If you'd like to use one of the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 942. And in reality, you've actually already heard today's sermon through the songs we've been singing, through the witness and the testimony of the students as they were being baptized. But we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about the freedom that we have in Jesus, the new life that we have in Jesus. And as we move into this time, we're going to talk a little bit about baptism and all that sort of stuff. And already I want to put a challenge forward to you that just as we celebrate baptism, remember these three guys as you go into this week. Because you came to the 10 o'clock service, your responsibility this week is to pray for these guys that they would fall more in love with Jesus, that they would be bold in their faith, that they would be protected from the enemy even this week as they've effectively just painted targets on themselves, saying, I belong to Jesus. So pray for them. If you can't remember their names, get one of the info cards that's handed out at the doors up front, and you can keep them in prayer. So we are going to be reading the first couple of verses, 1 through 11 of Romans chapter 6. Before I do that, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you have given us your word and that you've given us your spirit, that we are able to understand and live out the instruction that you give us. I pray, Father, right now that even in this moment, you would be teaching all of us, myself included, what you want us to know, what you want us to do today as an expression of the love that we've received from you. Thank you that you are the one who is leading us and that you are the one who brings us life and freedom. We pray this all in your powerful name. Amen. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore by him, or sorry, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now there's a lot of good stuff packed into the book of Romans. There's a lot of good stuff packed into just these 11 verses. But in the chapters leading up to this, Paul has detailed the fact that God has created everything, including humanity. But that humanity has chosen to reject God and push him away and walk in sin. Paul tells us that everyone is sinful, that there is no one perfect or righteous, and that by our sin, we have earned death for ourselves. But Paul also speaks to the fact that in Jesus, there is forgiveness. Through faith in Jesus, there is opportunity to come to peace with God and to experience new life. And so that's where we're going to focus today. We're going to contrast a little bit the life of sin and the life found in Christ. One leads to death. The other leads to life forever. We celebrate baptism because it is our marker of allegiance to God. We declare Christ to be our king and we affirm our belief in him. It's a personal union with God, but it's a public declaration because we want the world to know our position as people of Jesus. Paul writes here in this passage that baptism unites us in death. And so the follower of Jesus declares that they are dead to themselves, and instead they find their life in Jesus. And so your outline says followers of Jesus give up their own life and receive life in Jesus. But maybe you don't think that baptism is all that important. However, it is a command from Jesus. In some of his last moments, in his last teaching while he was on earth, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he had commanded them. So baptism is not an optional act for a follower of Jesus. It is a requirement. But at the same time, I want to make sure that we understand that baptism is not something that saves us. That's true. Just like going to church doesn't save you, although I'm glad you're all here this morning. Just like reading your Bible every day doesn't save you. Just like giving to the benevolent offering doesn't save you. All good things, all necessary for growth as followers of Jesus, but none of our actions are able to save us. Works don't save us. However, Jesus does call us to obey. And he actually says that our obedience is a sign of our love. He says, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And so baptism is one of these ways that we obey. And it's a mystery how God works in baptism. I've heard it called the gateway to the Christian life. See, in the Bible, there was no one who declared themselves as followers of Jesus 
who wasn't baptized. Everyone who followed Jesus was baptized. It set people apart. It sets us apart today as the people of God. It's an outward identification, and it reflects the inward truth of our acceptance into God's family. I mentioned earlier that I was baptized, maybe I didn't mention it in this service, but about 10 years ago. So I was probably about as old as these guys were. Um, And I thought I had my life pretty well together. I was in the middle of high school, so I knew I was doing okay. But when I got baptized, I started to notice that there were certain aspects of my life that I just couldn't really control. I started to notice more and more things that were wrong with what I was doing. I struggled with sin. Things like pride, or pornography, or popularity, or power. I was setting my eyes and my desires on things opposite of what God was calling me into. I loved Jesus, but I felt bound in sin and stuck. And so I tried to outdo my sin with good works, with reading the Bible with giving to people, with attending church regularly, even getting connected in leadership. But no matter how hard I tried, my good works couldn't undo or overcome my sin. And if you've tried to do the same, you know what I was feeling. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't demand perfect people to fill his church. Because if that were the case, I think we can all agree that this would be a pretty empty building. Right? Jesus doesn't demand perfect people to fill his church. He takes the broken, he takes the immoral, he takes the bruised, he takes the beaten, and he binds us. He mends us. He redeems us. And so as I came to the end of high school, I started to realize that I was trying to earn this love that Jesus offers so freely. A love that I could never work hard enough to earn, but a love that I didn't have to work hard to earn. And as I entered into college and graduated through college, Jesus was shaping in me through his spirit and by the help of brothers and sisters, he was moving me closer to be more like him. Sin struggles started to let go. I'm not perfect yet. There will come a day. We'll all see it. I pray. But I was on this path of becoming more like Jesus. And sin started to lose its hold on me. You heard through the testimony a few minutes ago that students, these students love Jesus, but they still know that they struggle with sin and with doubt and with the problems. And so your outline says that followers of Jesus, or sorry, we are not made perfect, sorry, we are not made sinless, You could also write perfect if you want. We're not made sinless, but we are made righteous. As followers of Jesus, we are not made sinless, but in Jesus, we are made righteous. Okay? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are made holy. That's a real thing that we get to stand in, that God looks at us and says, you are holy. But Jesus also calls us to greater holiness. We're not made perfect yet. But we are purified to do the works that God has set out in advance for us to accomplish in Christ Jesus. As we move towards perfection, there will come that day when we sin no more and we see Jesus 
face to face. But in the meantime, what do we do with the sin that we still commit? Because if we love Jesus, we should be able to say no to sin, right? And the reality is that apart from Jesus, no one is able to say no to sin. In other words, if you don't follow Jesus, you can't stop sinning. Only someone who has been brought to life in Christ, has been filled with the Spirit, has become a child of God, is able to start that process of saying no to sin and yes to him. Because only Jesus can change our hearts. A dead person can't restart their own heart. They need someone from the outside, and Jesus comes to do that. And even though we do continue to sin, we've been given power to conquer sin through Christ and through the church, our brothers and sisters, as we encourage one another, as we push each other closer to holiness and help keep each other accountable against sin, we start to see victory. We rally together because sin and the lies of the world have no power over someone who has been brought out of sin and into Christ. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. See, Christ accomplishes this work in us. By his perfect life, we receive righteousness. By his death, our sins are paid. By his resurrection, we are brought to real life. By his ascension back to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit to live in us, to dwell in us, and God makes his home in his people. It's written, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We only receive real life when we are united with Jesus and when we follow him. And this new life we have received is how we can think and act and feel in ways that honor God the way that we were designed to live. So let me give you an example. A handful of years ago, I had a friend. They didn't do anything to personally harm me or wrong me, but I was offended by something they had done. And I didn't tell them about it. I just decided to build up walls. And over time, I became bitter toward this friend of mine. And as time passed, I became angry. And as more time passed, I was on the verge of malicious gossip against this brother of mine. Both believers, both filled with the Spirit, but I was living in sin. And so thankfully, the Holy Spirit convicted me, and I was sitting up in the back row of the balcony in a dark corner. Hello, if that's you. And I was listening to Pastor Ray preach a sermon, and he was speaking on Ephesians 4, and he said this. And I thought it was Pastor Ray speaking. It was actually the Lord. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so because the Holy Spirit lives in me, the Spirit of God used the Word of God to cut me like a knife. And I realized how far I was in sin and the fact that I needed to repent. So I did. But I also realized that I needed to confess 
to my brother. And it was humbling. And it was painful. But in the moment of confession, my brother forgave me. And in an instant, the burden of sin and the bitterness that I had held on to for months was gone. In an instant. And I'm not saying that that's how it happens every single time. Because sometimes it takes a while to heal from the wrongs that we encounter. But in this instance, I experienced for months trying to live in the death and the sin that I had been saved from. And I was trying to go back to that. And then in that moment of redemption and reconciliation, Jesus pulled me out and I experienced the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the joy that is found only in him. It was like for months I was drowning. And finally I was pulled up for air. That was Jesus. So the gospel and the power of Christ is not some airy, fairy, abstract, intangible, feel-good message. It's actually real. It actually transforms life every single day. So what does that life look like? Because as you look around this room, you probably see a lot of alive people. Some of you might be sleeping. But you're all alive. And as you go to the mall, or as you go down the street, or as you're driving, you're probably ducking and weaving maybe a little too aggressively, through traffic and down, you know, the road. And people are busy, and they're full, and their lives are moving, and they're all alive. So what does life in Jesus actually look like? Maybe you just got married. Maybe you just had a child. Maybe you just graduated with the degree that you've been wanting since you were a kid. Maybe you closed on a house for your family. Maybe you got a promotion. Or an unexpected gift from a friend. Maybe you made a new friend or brought someone to know Jesus. How do you follow Jesus in these times? Where's your heart? Where's your mind? How do you follow Jesus in the good times? Or maybe it's the other way for you. You just lost your job. Maybe you haven't been able to find work for a while. Maybe you failed an exam. Or you found out your spouse is having an affair. Maybe you've got a kid in the hospital and you're not sure if they're going to make it to the end of the week. Maybe you don't have enough money to feed your family. Or your family laughs at you because you follow a God you've never seen, you've never heard. How do you follow Jesus in times like this? Where's your heart at? Where's your mind? How do you follow Jesus in the hard times? And I'll be honest, I haven't experienced like three quarters of the scenarios that I just listed. But I have experienced the faithfulness of God. And I know that he is steady in his promises and that he never changes. Regardless of your circumstance... He is the same. Our circumstances might not be a result of our own actions, but our responses to our circumstances can either come from a sinful, dead, selfish heart, the heart of sin, or it can come from a life that's being renewed by Jesus. Our response can come from a heart that's been restarted, a heart that looks to God rather than to self. A soul that's filled with the Spirit who can say, you know what? With Jesus, I'll be okay. It might not make sense, but I'll be 
okay. See, our DNA is being rewritten as we become more like God, as we become more and more like Jesus each and every day. He changes us. So how will you respond? Your identity is not your own anymore. If you didn't know it when you became a follower of Jesus, let me tell you now, you forfeited the rights to your life when you said yes to Jesus. You handed the keys of your life over to him, and now you have to trust him because he's in charge. So what will you do? Will you put all of your thoughts and your hopes and your dreams and your actions and your words and your passions and your desires all into the capable hands of God? Or will you try to keep living for yourself, in yourself, by your own strength, working hard enough, just trying, just maybe getting there? What are you going to do? What will you do? Because freedom isn't about getting to do whatever we want, whenever we want. We tried that once in the Garden of Eden. And we know how that turned out. Brought us here today with sin and destruction and failure. No, freedom isn't about doing whatever we want or being in charge of our own life. Freedom is actually coming under the lordship of Jesus and submitting to him as our master. And you say, but Brody, I don't want to be someone's slave. I don't want Jesus as my master. Yes, you do. You might not know it yet, or you might be pushing against it, but you do. Because what Jesus does is he frees us from the tyranny of sin. He frees us from the tyranny of death. He frees us from the burden of our failures, the destruction of our souls, the brokenness of our lives. He moves us from death to life. He moves us from slavery to sin into slavery to himself. And that is good because God is good and he's merciful and he's just and he's forgiving and he's kind and he's compassionate and he's full And he's vengeful against sin and he will defend his glory with everything that he is. But he invites us in to experience his glory ourselves rather than face the consequences of our sinful rebellion. And so your outline says that Jesus transforms us from dead slaves of sin to free living people of God. From death to life, from slavery to slavery, but freedom in the way we were designed. We are free in Christ to experience life the way we were created, to experience relationship with God and, by extension, relationship with one another. We were created in love by a loving creator. That doesn't change. Jesus offers freedom from death and sorrow and pain and struggle and strife. That doesn't mean that he takes us out of the hardship. Because every day we still got to deal with all the problems that people make all around us. And if someone just popped into your head, you probably have to go and talk to them. And we also got to deal with the sin that's inside our own hearts. But praise God that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. Sometimes we get this idea that, yeah, Jesus saved us, but when I sin, he's not really happy with me. He doesn't like me as much. He sent me to my room in his mansion in the sky. We get this idea that until we come and say we're sorry, Jesus holds it against us. But if you want to know where he held your sin, it was on the cross. And he invites you in. 
Even if you're caught in habitual sin, Jesus invites you again to come to him to experience healing and life and freedom. Because I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor the present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation. Do you hear that? Nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. The only one who could separate us from God's love is God himself. And he doesn't separate us. He actually brings it to us. There is nothing standing in the way of the love that God has for us. The chains of sin and shame and guilt and fear are shattered because of God's love for us. There's no sin that you've committed that's too deep for him. There's no place you can go that's too far for him to find. There's nothing that you can do to earn his love or make him love you anymore. And there's nothing you have done that will make him love you any less because he loves you so totally because of who he is, not because of who you are. And he loves you so totally because of what he's done, not because of anything you could do. And he gives you that. And he invites us in. And so if you're here today and you follow Jesus and you love him, then you have reason to celebrate like we celebrate these baptisms. He invites you to obey him, to faithfully live a life that is a picture of the gospel of reconciliation and redemption that he has brought you into. Maybe that means that you need to take a step of obedience today. We should always be taking steps of obedience, but tangibly. Maybe that means that you have to go take a discovery course so that you can be baptized. Maybe that means that you have to go find a brother or sister that you're holding something against and you have to go and seek forgiveness and restoration. Maybe that means that you've been struggling in secret and in sin and you're on your own and you're isolated and you need to find other men or other women that can come around you, keep you accountable, to fill you with life so that you can finally overcome a sin struggle that you've had for years. Jesus has claimed victory over sin and over death and over the devil. And he brings us into that as well. He's declared us as his followers more than conquerors. He's declared us adopted and loved. He has declared us free. And if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. We have this habit of saying that when someone dies, they've passed away because it makes it a little easier to talk about. But what this verse says is that the dead you has died. And the new has come. Life has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And if you want in on this freedom, if you want in on this new life, if you're tired of working and trying and maybe getting close, but you don't know, and is this enough? Am I enough? Am I accepted? Am I loved? Will I ever find joy? then I invite you to surrender your life to Jesus today. Because whatever you're living for, no matter how good it is, it will never satisfy. It will never fulfill. Only Jesus can do that because you were made for Jesus. And so if you want to come into this new life, if you want to encounter 
God, if you want to experience peace and freedom, then in a minute I'm going to invite you to pray with me. The prayer itself doesn't save you. The prayer helps you put into words the fact that you want to become part of the family and the fact that Jesus is able to secure that for you through his death and through his life. So don't leave this place if you feel that tug without walking into that new life. Don't leave this place without talking to a pastor or a volunteer or your friend who brought you because we want to walk with you as you enter into life. And no matter where you are with God, whether you've been following him for decades or you maybe haven't started following him yet, then I want everyone to know this. Although the wages of sin is death, although what we earn because of our sinful actions is death forever, the free gift that God offers is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You don't have to do anything to earn God's love. In fact, you can't. But he gives it to us freely. He gives it to us without reservation. And in Jesus, we find our freedom, our joy, our Savior. We have all that we need in him. So let's pray together. And if you want to embrace Christ today, then you'll pray the first prayer with me. And then I'll pray for everyone after that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you love me. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to live and to die and to be raised from the dead so that I could have life. I recognize that I have sinned. I recognize that I will never reach perfection. I recognize my wrong. But I also recognize the love that you have for me. And Jesus, I pray that today you would free me. I pray that today you would bring me life. I pray that today you would bring me into your family. Thank you, Jesus, that in you there is forgiveness. There is peace and there is life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and lead me every day of my life until I get to see you face to face. In Jesus' name. And for the rest of us, Father, I thank you. For those in this room that are your children, I thank you that you have given us that life that you have taken us from death and moved us into your kingdom and into your family and into all of the good blessing that you have. Even when life is crazy, even when life doesn't make sense, even when we look up against the wall and we don't know where to go, thank you that you stand with us and that you know and that you have overcome. I pray, Lord, that you would make us bold with your gospel, that you would open our hearts to see the sin that we still hold on to or the control that we haven't released. And I pray that you would shape us to be more like Jesus, to submit ourselves to be more like you, and to walk in this freedom. And Father, for those in this room who don't know you yet, I thank you that they are here to hear your word. I pray that you would open their hearts, that you would open their minds to see their desperate need for you and the fact that you are the only one who can bring true and everlasting and full life. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. And so we're going to enter into a time of continued celebration. We're actually going to be taking part in the Lord's Supper together. This is for anyone who follows Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he was put on the cross and before he died, he was having dinner with his disciples. And after dinner, he took 
the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. The bread reminds us that Jesus was actually beaten, was actually bruised, was actually whipped and scourged, and that he really died so that we could have life. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The cup reminds us that Jesus' blood really was spilled on our behalf. His blood marks the covenant that we have with God to receive eternal life. We get life because Jesus died and his blood forgives us. He saves us. And so those who are serving communion, you can come forward this morning right now. And as we partake in this celebration together, we're going to send the trays of bread around. We're all going to take and wait and we'll eat together. And then we'll send the trays of cups around. We'll wait and we'll drink together. If you follow Jesus or if you just prayed and you embraced the reality of Jesus' life for you, then you get to take part in this. And that is so exciting. And if you're here today and you don't follow Jesus yet, then we're glad you're here, but we would just invite you to pass the trays by. Don't feel singled out. Don't feel ashamed. Everyone at one point or another has passed the trays. But this is only for those who have life and only for those who have been covered by Jesus and have had their sins forgiven through him. It's also our custom at Willingdon to take a moment to confess sin to the Lord. So if you spend right now in a minute and you confess sin, remember that you will also probably have to confess that sin to a brother or sister, but don't let that scare you because we've been brought to reconciliation. We've been brought to newness. We've been brought to freedom. So take advantage of that and live in the freedom that Jesus offers today. Let's spend a minute quietly before the Lord.